Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Today I am talking with Jason Whitlock. He is a Blaze TV host like me of the show Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We'll be talking to him in a few minutes about um, a few stories. We'll be talking about Black Lives Matter protesting the NBA's punishment of Kyrie Irving because he refuses to get vaccinated. We'll also be talking about the backlash that Condoleezza Rice has received after she said on The View last week that, you know, she denounces the principles of critical race theory. Um, We'll also be talking about this awesome story. There's a group called Dads on Duty who has um, really revolutionized in a positive way a school in Louisiana just by being present there. Um, They've reduced violence. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to get his take on all of those things. Uh, First, I do want to talk about a few stories that I saw circulating this weekend that I just wanted to comment on. Probably the biggest one, the thing that was... um, just causing so much uproar on social media was this story that was actually published a few weeks ago, but I think it's just getting attention now because Congress is doing something about it. There was reporting originally by the Daily Caller that the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Diseases, um, an infectious disease led by Dr. Fauci, uh, funded experiments on dogs. So this included hundreds of thousands of dollars sent to a lab in Northern Africa where beagles allegedly, uh, beagle puppies had their heads placed in mesh cages. There are these pictures going around of this. We'll put it up if we have it. While sand flies ate them alive. Um, Some dogs apparently had their vocal cords removed so they couldn't bark. Um, According to documents obtained via a Freedom of Information Act request by taxpayer watchdog group White Coat Waste Project and subsequent media coverage from October 2018 until February 2019, NIAID spent $1.86 million in uh, taxpayer funds on drug tests involving 44 beagle puppies even though the FDA says they don't need animal experimentation to approve a drug. And so now there are a lot of people understandably upset about this. There is a group of a bipartisan group of 24 lawmakers, mostly Republicans, led by Republican from South Carolina, I believe, not North Carolina, Nancy Mace. Uh, She sent a letter demanding Fauci answer for this allocation of taxpayer dollars. Um, Like I said, this is very understandable why people are outraged about this. Helpless animals being cruelly treated uh, for any reason is terrible. I mean, it tugs at our heartstrings. They can't do anything about it. They don't have a voice. They can't fight back anytime um, a a vulnerable animal or human being um, is being victimized in this way. It's going to cause outrage and it's going to uh, be really sad, as it should be. However, however, as we discussed last week, this is not the worst thing funded by Fauci's agency and also the National Institutes of Health, which was recently led by someone, Francis Collins, who calls himself a Christian. I'll link to the episode that we did on that last week talking about that. It was revealed earlier this year that these agencies were funding experiments at the University of Pittsburgh using organs from babies up to 42 weeks gestation. So we're talking about probably seven to eight pound baby. If it's coming out at 42 weeks, probably about an eight pound baby, as well as scalping unborn babies and grafting 
putting the scalp um, on to mice. And so these were babies that were aborted uh, allegedly by the local Planned Parenthood. We saw pictures of this. They're publicly available. Again, we will link the we'll link my past episode that has the links to all of these studies that you can see for yourself. We've seen the pictures. We've seen the pictures of the little human baby hairs growing on the side of these mice because the scalps were grafted onto mice skin. It's alleged by David Delighton that Pitt has a, a quid pro quo relationship with Planned Parenthood in their area. Planned Parenthood provides them again, allegedly with these aborted babies and Pitt offers something. I'm not sure what that is in return, uh, funded by our taxpayer dollars. That did not get a fraction of the outrage or news coverage that this dog stuff has. And so what does that say about human nature? What does that say about where we are? I'm okay with being outraged about the dog stuff. I, I do. I understand. Like that makes me really sad too. But Human beings matter more. They matter more than animals. That statement alone will get people really upset with you, will get people really angry at you. That's not me justifying cruelty towards animals, and it doesn't even matter what I say. Some people are going to hear me say that anyway somehow because that's what they want to hear. Human beings matter more. They always matter more, whether it's inside the womb or outside the womb, whether that human being is disabled, whether that human being is old, whether that human being is um, producing a producing member of society, a contributing member of society or not. Human beings matter more than animals and therefore the mistreatment of humans should solicit our outrage more than the mistreatment of animals. I had someone say on Twitter, you know, um, we should be equally outraged about both. We can be equally outraged about both. No, that would be really weird. We should not be equally outraged about both. We should care about human beings more. That used to just be something that we knew. It does come from a Christian perspective. It's kind of hard to argue it from a secular perspective because, you know, secularists just believe that we are evolved monkeys, but human beings believe that we were made in the image of God. We were made in God's image. Um, and because of that, the frailest, most fragile, least quote unquote productive human being matters more than even the winningest horse matters more than sea biscuit. That life matters more. So our energy, our compassion should go toward that before our energy and compassion goes towards an animal. Yes, it can be both, but we have to so order our loves uh, so that we are reflecting God's heart. And when a society, not just individuals, but when a society get those pri- gets those priorities out of whack, we're going to see really bad things. You don't see the elevation of the care of animals. You actually see the degradation of our view of human beings when we believe that human beings and animals are just kind of on equal playing field when it comes to their inherent worth. Wherever you see, this is J.K. Chesterton, he said, wherever you see animal worship, you always see human sacrifice and specifically child sacrifice. And so um, we, I think we certainly see that today, uh, at least in the general public. Now, we're also seeing in our institutions cruelty towards animals, which I think is wrong and I also think is a sin. All I'm saying is, like, let's not have our priorities out of whack. Let's not have our outrage um, be uh, out of whack, out of out of alignment. Um, however, if this is the thing 
that takes Fauci down? Like, if this is the one thing that makes people mad, not funding the research that very likely caused this entire pandemic that has cost millions and millions of lives. If it's not that, if it's not lying about that, if it's not his back and forth on every single COVID policy, uh, if it's not his funding of some of the horrific research that we just talked about using uh, fetal organs, then maybe it'll be the dogs. And if it's the dogs that takes Fauci down, then so be it. So be it. All right. I've got one other story that I want to talk about before I uh, talk to Jason. But before I get there, let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. And that is Good Ranchers. We just got our new box of Good Ranchers in. We've got our different cuts of meat. Gave some meat to my parents. I think they had, um, I don't know what kind of steak they had. Maybe they had a couple T-bone steaks over the weekend. Uh, But we got T-bone steak. We got filets. uh, We got our ground beef. We've also got our pre-marinated chicken, our non-pre-marinated chicken. We put it in our deep freezer and we are good to go. So thankful for Good Ranchers. I love knowing that all of my grass-fed beef, my better than organic chicken is coming from American farmers. Like they need our support right now and getting your meat from Good Ranchers ensures that you are supporting American farms rather than buying the beef in the grocery store, most of which, 80% of which is actually imported from overseas. So Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. When you do, you can pick out the kind of meat that you want. They'll mail it to your front door on dry ice, vacuum sealed, individually wrapped. It eliminates waste. There's really no con when it comes to Good Ranchers. If you've been thinking about it, just do it. It'll make your life easier and you can feel good about uh, eating meat from American farms. Plus, you can get a discount. If you go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie or use promo code Allie, you get $20 off plus free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. All right. I want to talk about um, this article in the Washington Post from Ashley Parker. She wrote about Let's Go Brandon in an article titled Biden's Critics Hurl Increasingly Vulgar Taunts. Now, I've explained this a couple times on Twitter, but I know not everyone is quite as online as, um, you know, as some Twitter users are. So maybe you have no idea why people are talking about Brandon. What is Let's Go Brandon? Okay, let me clue you in on this. So there have been, and I'm not condoning, I'm not condoning this. I'm just explaining what's been happening. So at football games uh, across the country since August or whenever football season started, people have been leading stadium-wide chants of F Joe Biden. And, you know, they're not saying F Joe Biden. They are saying the word. They're saying F Joe Biden. And (laughs) this also happened at a NASCAR race a few weeks ago. And the guy who won that particular NASCAR race, his name is Brandon. He was doing an interview after the race with an NBC reporter in front of a crowd. And the crowd behind him was saying, F Joe Biden, as has happened in many stadiums across the country. And the sweet NBC reporter trying to cover it up trying to change what was happening um, because, you know, this is embarrassing and you're not supposed to have those kind of expletives on air. She said, oh, the crowd is saying, let's go, Brandon. (laughs) What everyone knew what the crowd was saying, but she thought, I think, you know, maybe she really thought that they were saying, let's go, Brandon, but it kind of seemed like she was trying to cover it up to make it, you know, seem like that's not what was happening. And so now everyone, when they want to say, 
that Joe Biden is doing a bad job or they're angry at Joe Biden or they want to say F Joe Biden. They say, let's go, Brandon. Like, that's basically a code for saying F Joe Biden. And that's why I've kind of been torn on saying let's go, Brandon, myself, because it is effectively cussing. And that's not something that I want to do. I do believe Christians are called to in Ephesians to only... Um, to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear and, you know, saying something like F. Joe Biden obviously is not doing that. Although I understand the sentiment. I mean, when you're looking at, you know, empty grocery shelves, when you are hearing someone like Jen Psaki basically make fun of the supply chain issues that we're having and try to turn it into, you know, some kind of right-wing attack on paternity leave because Pete Buttigieg has been MIA as the Secretary of Transportation. Um, when they don't care about the problems that are happening at the border, the issues that are facing and are detrimental to the Americans that they said that they were going to unify and lead. When you are seeing him use coercion and very draconian tactics to try to punish people who choose not to be vaccinated or states that aren't going along with his vaccine mandates, I understand the sentiment of of wanting to say, let's go, Brandon. And I think I have said, let's go, Brandon, once on Instagram when Shinsaki's said, oh, supply chain issues, the um, the tragedy of the treadmill that's delayed. Well, no, Jinsaki, there's also uh, there there's also supplies that are needed for hospitals. They're needed for PICUs. They're needed uh, for NICUs. They are needed for sick patients that are unable to get some of uh, the equipment that they need. Uh, tubing, for example, syringes. Like we rely on the supply chain to be able to supply these things to save people's lives. And Jen Psaki is basically rolling her eyes and treating it like it's just some you know, it, it's not a big deal. And that did um, elicit a let's go Brandon from me. However, I stand by what I said about it's probably not the best things for Christians to say, even though I understand the sentiment. Ashley Parker, this reporter for The Washington Post, apparently doesn't understand the sentiment at all. Um, she writes, like I said, Biden's critics hurl increasingly vulgar taunts. And she um, talks about visiting Scranton, Pennsylvania, and um, how the people that uh, the people that she met were basically racist. So she says that, but it's clear that after nine months in office, Biden, or at least what he represents, is increasingly becoming an object of hatred to many Trump supporters. She doesn't say why. She never says why people are angry at him. She doesn't list any of the problems that are going on in the country and maybe why people are upset with Joe Biden. She just says, oh, he's becoming an object of hatred. The vitriol partly reflects Trump's own repeated baseless claims that Biden is a usurper. So again, their hatred of Biden isn't based on anything real, isn't based on any of the issues that I just explained. Um, it's based on a lie. If it weren't for Trump, she's basically arguing, she's implying that everyone would love Joe Biden. But because Trump lies about Joe Biden, that's the only reason why people are upset. Um, she said partly stems from Biden's actions that Republicans deplore from his spending plans to his immigration policies. Um, and so, again, she is delegitimizing any reason why someone might be upset with him. Like, let's look at the unemployment numbers. Let's look again at the empty grocery shelves. Let's look at some of, yes, the immigration policies that he has put forth or at least failed to put forth that has led to an unprecedented number of migrants crossing the border illegally and unaccompanied minors at the border. 
Yes, that is why people are upset. But basically, she's delegitimizing it as something that, you know, doesn't really matter. So then she goes on to explain what I just explained, where Let's Go Brandon comes from. And she goes on to say, this is this is her reasoning why this is happening. Quote, when Trump was in office, he deployed public profanity in a way unlike any other modern president, which his supporters saw as truth telling and his opponents as vulgarity and sometimes racism. He railed against immigrants from S.H.I.T. whole countries. He tweeted that Senator Mitt Romney was a pompous ASS. He was elected after boasting of grabbing uh, women's crotches. Sometimes he prompted obscenities from Democrats in return. So that's the that's the only thing that she says about the vitriol that was directed by Donald Trump. Now, it's true that Trump said things that I didn't like, that I didn't agree with. That's absolutely true. But there are some problems with this. One, like, look at the vulgarity of the death threats, the Uh, chopping off of a a fake head of Donald Trump by Kathy Griffith. um, Or is it Kathy Kathy Griffin? I never know her name. But uh, when Trump was president, I mean, there was... And remember that woman when... um, when Donald Trump and his uh, when his car was going by in D.C. and there was a woman who was riding her bike who flipped off his car and, you know, his band of Secret Service cars. And she was a hero. People loved her on the left. Uh, they didn't have anything to say about the insults, about the vulgarity, about the profanity, about the threats that were launched towards Donald Trump and Trump and Trump supporters. And the article goes on to say one of many legacies of the Trump presidency is he normal. He normalized angry speech. Trump normalized angry speech. Like, I know most people don't remember the Bush era, and I was kind of young to remember the Bush era, but I know enough, I've read enough to know that Bush was compared to a Nazi. You're telling me that Trump, we can go, gosh, we can go back to Alexander Hamilton. Like, we can go back to Jefferson. We can go back to the political rhetoric that founded this country, and you will see a normalization of partisanship and angry speech and, yes, even vulgarity and salacious rumors and all kinds of stuff. That's not to let Trump off the hook. I have never claimed that Trump is some moral exemplar. But this is what the Washington Post, the so-called democracy dies in darkness publication. This is what they do. They give you slanted reporting. They say that it's the whole story. They say that it's the news and not just a particular opinion. And then people who don't know better, who don't want to know better, leave with a particular impression that the only reason that people could be mad at Joe Biden is because Trump. It's always still because Trump. These people are obsessed with Trump. They think Trump is the originator of all of our problems when he's not. He he might be if you're on the left, like you might consider him a problem, whatever. But uh, to paint anyone who criticizes Joe Biden as a racist or some kind of QAnon conspiracy theorist who just believes everything that Trump says about a stolen election, you're wrong. Like your bigotry and your condescension and your bias is so clearly showing and they know this. They know this. And what I said on Twitter is that this is not really hypocrisy. Like this is what these journalists and activists do. This is what they do. They actually apply the same principle of very 
consistently. And it's so it's not hypocrisy. And their principle is this. It is okay to harm and harass someone that you don't like. It is not okay to harm or harass or even criticize someone that you do like. So that's the principle. So there is no hypocrisy in them saying it's okay to criticize or to harass or to threaten Donald Trump, but it's not okay to do so towards Joe Biden. That's not hypocrisy. That is their principle. That is their um, that is their M.O. That's what they do. You are not allowed to disagree with them or the people they hoist up as political heroes. That's the rule. And so I'm not at all surprised by this. I'm not surprised by the outright line. Like they turned a lighthearted conservative meme, which is very innocuous. Again, I'm you're not going to find me like going around and yelling it and saying it all the time. But it's a lighthearted meme that they turned into this, you know, white supremacist rallying cry that's more about Donald Trump than anything else. And it's just not true. It's not true. But this is what they do. These people hate you like they hate you. And I heard this uh, last week. I think it was by Seth Dillon, who runs the Babylon Bee. Um, He said, you know who has the power and whose power you should really fear based on who you're not allowed to make fun of. If you are not allowed to tell a lighthearted joke about a person, then then that is that's the person and that's the entity um, that all other entities are supporting. Um, because it's not just that Joe Biden is mad about this. It's that everyone else is running cover for him. I Someone sent me, um, they were trying to sell Let's Go Brandon t-shirts on Etsy. Etsy took their t-shirts down. I don't know if this is happening to everyone who tried to sell it, uh, to sell those t-shirts on Etsy, but Etsy took, uh, took it down. Spotify took a Let's Go Brandon, you know, funny rap. Um, off of the top charts on Spotify. YouTube has apparently censored some videos that are saying, let's go, Brandon. I mean, really, like this is going to threaten y'all's fragility that much? Let's go, Brandon. That, I mean, that's like, that's what authoritarians do. That's what authoritarians do. They don't even allow jokes about them. But honestly, it kind of makes me... It kind of makes me happy because at this point, I'm not saying I'm not condoning using that language, but at this point, like you should absolutely be doubling down in your criticism. They obviously are threatened by it. They're very fragile, little tiny babies, and you need to continue to voice your criticism. As I say, raise a respectful ruckus. You don't have to use vulgarity to do that, but don't be intimidated and don't buy into this hit job on people who use Let's Go Brandon by the Washington Post that basically tries to liken them to, you know, QAnon white supremacists. It's crazy. This is what they do. Make sure that you're picking up on that. All right. Before we get into the conversation with Jason Whitlock, I do want to tell you guys about my second sponsor for the day, and that is the Dwell app. And so if you um, if you are needing to take a break from this world, and really we should be doing this every day, but you know, If after this podcast is over, you're like, you know what? I just need to listen to scripture because the world is crazy. Then you need the Dwell app. It has built a beautiful listening and reading experience for the scriptures. It has all of the versions that you could possibly think of, ESV, NIV, 
KJV, NASB, I like the ESV. You can listen. They also have a read-along experience where you can read big, bold, beautiful text while you're listening. That helps you retain what you are listening to and reading and really hide God's word in your heart. So highly recommend it. You can go to dwellapp.io slash relatable to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off dwell for life. 33% off means you uh, save $50 in all. So it's a really good deal. Go to dwellapp.io slash relatable dwellapp.io slash relatable. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. All right. First, I want to hear your take on this Black Lives Matter. They're staging a vaccine mandate protest at NYC's Barclays Center to demand unvaccinated Kyrie Irving be able to play uh, in NBA games. I'm a little surprised by this. I don't typically find myself aligning with Black Lives Matter, although I have seen them push back against this. What's your take on it? I think that Black Lives Matter in New York has carved a little bit of a different path than the rest of the Black Lives Matter organizations. Hmm. I, I think the group out of New York questioned some of the handling of the financing as it related to Patrice Cullors, I think. Right. And so they've always had a little independent uh, philosophy or, or I don't know, style about themselves. And so I'm like you, I don't agree with them often, uh, but this is the second time I've agreed with them in terms of them questioning, you know, what's going on with the money and now questioning uh, the vaccine mandate. And, and literally in New York, I, 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 the, the impact, the disparity impact in terms of the number of black people in New York that are unvaccinated, that are being impacted by this mandate, I, I think this is what uh, BLM should be doing, is defending Kyrie Irving. And then even if you remove race out of it, if you just uh, understand American freedom and what this country was founded upon, uh, you know, I think it's a proper stance for BLM and other organizations to be supporting Kyrie Irving. I, I think what Kyrie is doing, and people keep getting upset with me, and friends of mine like Charles Barkley, you know, passionately disagree with me, but I, I think what Kyrie Irving's doing is as courageous as what Muhammad Ali did years ago uh, when refusing to be inducted into the draft. That was Muhammad Ali standing up to the establishment and taking a real risk. And I think Kyrie Irving is taking a real risk here and standing up to the establishment. I, I, I don't think he's going to do it forever, but I'm glad someone's doing it and forcing a conversation and forcing groups like BLM and others uh, to cut out, you know, positions that aren't in such promotion of the establishment and in yeah. promotion of the elite. So I, I'm, I think what Kyrie's doing is courageous and he's, he's starting a conversation that is very necessary. And at least this chapter of BLM is actually consistent because this is like the Ibram X. Kendi definition of racism. You know, he says it's 
not necessarily intent, it's impact. So if any law or policy just happens to disproportionately affect, negatively affect black people, then that is racist. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but at least apply that principle consistently. You don't see people like Ibram X. Kendi and other so-called anti-racists really speaking up about the vaccine mandate, which is disproportionately affecting black Americans because a large percentage of them are unvaccinated. Like at least this chapter of BLM is being consistent in applying their principles, even if I disagree with them in in some ways. But I'm glad I'm glad that they're speaking up about this. And you said that you don't think Kyrie Irving is is necessarily going to hold out forever. What do you think is going to happen? Because obviously something's got to give, right? Well, I think there's so much money on the line. And I think that the Brooklyn Nets have a chance to win a championship. And that would be important to Kyrie's legacy and Kevin Durant's legacy and James Harden's legacy. And, and you have to remember, Ali, I know you probably don't follow the NBA that close, but NBA players in recent years look for every reason possible to miss games, particularly early in the season. They really only want to play in the postseason. And so I could see Kyrie, NBA it, it starts in October, but the season really, really doesn't kick off until Christmas. And so I could see Kyrie holding out until around Christmas or just after Christmas and then coming back and playing, having made his point, uh, having, you know, sparked a lot of conversation a- a- around this. But I-, I-, I would be shocked. Now, I would love it if he set out the entire season or even if he just set out the regular season and did come back and play in the postseason. I would love that. The longer this goes on, the better, the more opportunities for us to discuss it, the more opportunities for people that don't understand. Because I I think it was like Glenn Greenwald uh, was early on this. I was talking about it months ago that, hey, look, these vaccine mandates are going to impact black people the most. And I know that corporate media is trying to tell you that, oh, it's just Trump supporters and they're the worst Mm -hmm. people on the planet. And so let them all die or, or, you know, they're the evil people. And I was like, no, you're lying to people. It's Mm -hmm. not Trump supporters who are the least likely to be vaccinated. It's actually black people. And and these rules uh, are are, just think of the 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 cost to black people in New York, and they can't go to a restaurant. They can't go to inside a grocery store, I think. All of this is just adding expense to their life. And all these social justice warriors, that's their number one concern. Oh, what can we do to protect the voiceless or the disadvantaged or the discriminated against? The mandates don't do that. And, and, And particularly, I know this, well, we're trying to protect them from the consequences of COVID. Well, the consequences of COVID, whoo, one percent may may die, and 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 I've said this, Allie, and and I don't say this to be humorous. I I, I say it to be dead serious. Like, the vaccine is for fifty-year-old overweight people like myself. <laughs> That's not the great mass of people. The, the, the this COVID thing just doesn't wipe out. 29-year-old super healthy athletes like Kyrie Irving. 
uh, or, or young people or young children. And uh, if it does, and, it's and so, rare enough. It's it obviously I'm sure it happens. There's a story about everything, but it's rare enough to allow people like that, or really to allow anyone, but especially the population that you're talking about, to have the choice and certainly not to lose their livelihood or their access to basic accommodations because they don't make that particular choice, right? Absolutely. And I, you know, I just went home this past weekend and visited my family and everybody there is in my family. They're all pro-vaccine. And, and for as soon as they hug you, they tell you, I'm fully vaccinated. And, and they're always shocked when I say, I'm fully unvaccinated. And, <laughs> and, they get, and, and at some point, I will get vaccinated. But I don't blame the people that are waiting and because I put up a target. I said, you know what, summer of 22, there'll be enough information about the vaccine that I'll be more comfortable getting it. And I think I'm a very reasonable person. And look, I understand that my weight and age make it that, you know, the vaccine's probably for me, but I still want to be patient. I don't have a death wish. I'm not some idiot. These people, Kyrie Irving isn't some idiot. Uh, the, these people that are vaccine hesitant aren't stupid. Vaccines take a long time to develop. They don't get this kind of FDA approval this soon. I know I'm getting a little, I'll probably get That's us okay. kicked off YouTube, so let me shut up. Yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> I was a guest on a, I was a guest on another podcast last week and we were talking about so-called Rachel Levine and I had to say the same thing. I said, you know what? I'm going to do my best not to get you kicked off YouTube and to hold my tongue yeah. on, on some things. But no, I think, you know, my audience understands what you're saying. And people, the fact is that people don't like to be dehumanized, bullied, condescended by people like Joe Biden, basically making everyone who is hesitant about the vaccine seem stupid, seem like a parasite, seem like, um, you know, some kind of burden on society when the numbers don't even necessarily prove that to be true. Anyway, um, I want to talk about also someone who is getting a lot of pushback. We talked about Condoleezza Rice and what she said on The View last week. We played the clip. She just said, you know, these principles of critical race theory, they're not really helping anything. They're disempowering black kids and they are making white kids feel bad about themselves. And then, of course, there were people on the left who got super upset about that. There is a journalist who calls himself... Tore, I don't even know. I know that he's been hit with a few sexual harassment allegations and he says some crazy things on on Twitter. Um, but he says, and let me read it for you. Um, so he says that she is a, Condoleezza Rice is a soldier for white supremacy. Uh, white children and adults should absolutely feel bad about the past atrocities committed by white Americans. They should feel guilty. They should cringe at what their ancestors did. They should also understand that modern white power is directly related to those atrocities, blah, blah, blah. So this is the general sentiment about Condoleezza Rice, who grew up in segregated Alabama, that she's just a foot soldier for white supremacists. What say you? Uh, look, white, real white supremacy is in convincing young black people that you can't make it in this world. You're so weak. You're so uh, impotent. You can't do what your ancestors did. You can't do what Barack Obama did. You can't do what Martin Luther King did, 
Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, you're, you're weak and impotent and, and you're so intellectually unsavvy that unless we bend all the rules in your favor, you can't do what we've seen many people, millions of people do, what my grandparents did, what my parents did, you can't do it. And so I a thousand percent agree with Condoleezza Rice where dis critical race theory is trying to convince black people that you don't have any agency in this world, you're not in control of your destiny, you're not as strong as your ancestors who overcame far worse mm -hmm. than hurt feelings or being misgendered or whatever they come up with that is somehow so crippling. Uh, and so I, I think the actual opposite is true. Condoleezza Rice actually believes in black people and believes that we can do incredible things. Uh, I, I think that comments like the, the man you quoted are coming from and where this society has gone. When you live in a secular society and everyone basically abandons belief in God or, or they only have a very surface level belief in God, that, that, you know, because I was brought up in a church where we were taught all things are possible through Christ. And if God is on my side, how can I fail? And that's like, I authentically believe that. And so I came from a very impoverished background and because of the sacrifices of my parents, I was able to accomplish incredible things and do nice things for my family and, and escalate or rise up the American economic ladder and status la ladder and all that. Uh, and we're doing black kids a disservice by telling them that this country is so unfair that they can't make it and we're doing a disservice to white kids of telling them that uh, things that happened 100 years ago, things that happened 50 years ago, things that you weren't involved with should be a burden that you carry and should feel bad about. And it goes back to being a secular society because God and my understanding of the Bible, he just doesn't burden people with the sins of their fathers yeah. or mothers yeah. or grandparents. And, and so when, when you come, I, Ibram X. Kendi and all these other people, they're coming from a secular worldview where uh, basically the white liberal is God and, and he's an idol and without the white liberals uh, doing things for black people or, or repenting all their sins or living in, in a, this guilt-ridden place, nothing good can happen in the world. And I, I just reject that and I, I try to appeal uh, to black people that a lot of this messaging is targeted at is like, hey, these things they're teaching in critical race theory just aren't consistent with the values that were taught in the church through Christianity. And, and I think that should give you pause yeah. and make you question that, that perhaps what they're preaching is a satanic worldview. And, and I say that in all seriousness, uh, that's what I believe. They're, they're Satanists and they're preaching a satanic worldview. Yep, it is. It's so true. It presents a completely different gospel. I like to call it the gospel of grievance because that's what it tries to 
burden kids with, burden people with in general, is this feeling of grievance. For white kids, you feel grievance toward yourself. And as Tori said, oh, you know, white kids should feel um, grievance toward their ancestors or guilty about what their ancestors did. And not only is your point correct that the Bible says that uh, he he doesn't judge generations for sins of their past, even though the consequences of sin may last generationally. He doesn't punish um, people for what their grandparents did. Uh, however, this also goes to this faulty mentality or view of history that critical race theory posits that all white people today have ancestors who own slaves or all white people are somehow related to ancestors or to white people who lived 200 years ago. That's not even true. The vast majority of white people in this country do not have ancestors that own slaves. And so it's this very strange thing that it um, apparently all white people in America are tied together with slaveholders. All black people in America today are tied together with slaves when that's not even historically accurate. And like, that's what people are upset about when they're upset about critical race theory being taught in schools. It's not what a lot of activists say that people don't want history taught or don't want slavery taught. It's that critical race theory is ahistorical. It's not true. It's anti-biblical, yes, but it's also just not reality. It doesn't look at human nature correctly. It doesn't look at history correctly. It forgets about forgiveness and redemption, and it only holds back. I think that's what Condoleezza Rice is getting to and what she understands that for some reason, I don't know why, other people just don't want us to be free from the grievances and the burdens um, that activists like people like Ibram X. Kendi are placing on us. It's really hard for me to understand. Well, once you reach the conclusion it's the work of the devil, it becomes easier to understand. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's a misery that's being uh, created and promoted through that worldview. The, the other thing, Ali, is just like, you never hear any discussion. What about the white kids whose ancestors actually sacrificed their lives during the Civil War for freedom, for black people? It's, it's actually, and again, some people, oh, well, they weren't fighting to end slavery. They were fighting to preserve the Union and blah, blah, blah. I was like, go listen to the battle hymn of the Republic. Go look at the words where they actually talk about dying so that other men could live free. They were clearly talking about black people and, and the sacrifices they were making. And, and it was a, a sacrifice they felt the responsibility from God and their worldview, their Christian worldview, like, hey, I need to make this sacrifice. I'm gonna be rewarded in the afterlife for this sacrifice so that other men can live free. What about the ancestors of those people. Do they have to carry this burden? We don't have to go all the way back to the Civil War. The white people that supported the whole civil rights movement and, and, and many of them sacrificed many. What if you're an ancestor of one of them? Do you, do, no one ever talks about them. And this isn't me trying to uh, cape up for, I'm, I'm really trying to cape up for Christian people. It, it has nothing to do with, with race. But believers have accomplished great things in this country. And the fact that we had a Declaration of Independence that Thomas Jefferson wrote that stated all men are created equal, and, and that's because of his biblical worldview. And then we had a Constitution and Bill of Rights that had biblical principles placed into them. And then black people in our journey here in America 
actually put pressure on America to live up to the things in the Declaration, in the Bill of Rights, in the U.S. Constitution, and that's what's made America so great. Our story, as black people here, is very uplifting and important to the success of America. Without our journey and our narrative, I don't think America would be as great as it is. We put pressure, our journey put pressure on Christians to live up to the values that they express, and that's what made America so great and has made America so great. And to see us abandoning our biblical worldview, our faith-based culture, our Judeo-Christian culture and values, we're just tossing it away for critical race theory and fly-by-night intellectuals, public intellectuals like Ibram X. Kendi. These people are just popping up out of nowhere, supported by algorithms out of uh, Silicon Valley, and all of a sudden they're the experts. And, and these crazy people at the New York Times in their 1619 project, you know, I, I just, I, I mm -hmm. just, I, I, that's why I, I love what you do in terms of you talk from a biblical worldview. Uh, it's so important, and, and, and I just think if we as believers come together and, and put aside our superficial differences and just focus on the Word of God and, and, and take our understanding of life through that, now America has a chance to get back on course and on direction and, and the freedom and equality and justice that everybody's looking for, it comes from that. It doesn't come from critical race theory. There's no proof in the history of the world that critical race theory has produced the kind of results that a biblical Christian worldview does. Yep, you're absolutely right. And people don't understand that you really can't wed critical race theory and Christianity together because they offer two different perspectives on human nature, two different perspectives on sin, two different perspectives on what actual salvation is, who your savior is, even kind of what the end times will look like. The critical race theory offers this picture of this anti-racist utopia that is very similar to communism, except racialized instead of focused on class differences. And it's a completely different religion with different dogmas and different doctrines. And you can't, really can't wed the two. Um, you're your point about um, Thomas Jefferson, I know people are going to say, well, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Yes, that's true. And I don't align with all of the different theological assertions that he made about deism and things like that. The point is, is like what Frederick Douglass knew is that the Constitution is fundamentally an in uh, anti-slavery document. That's what Frederick Douglass called it because of the principles that were written in there, not because the people who wrote them were perfect. That's not what anyone has ever said. But because these are values based on a biblical worldview that we are all created in God's image with certain inalienable inherent rights. People don't understand that critical race theory actually does not believe in inherent rights. It doesn't believe in due process. It doesn't believe in free speech. It actually believes that the Constitution has led to very bad things for our society. It's radical. It's really radical. And that's why, like you said, it produces so much bitterness and so much bad. And as you were talking, I actually thought about this passage in James 3, which just affirms what you're saying. Um, it says in James 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's what you said. 
for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, which reminds me of a lot of the tenets of critical race theory, there will be disorder <coughs> in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So that, to me, I mean, it just affirms what you're talking about, the difference between light versus darkness, a biblical worldview, and the ones that we are seeing from the people who claim to be anti-racist, but very often are just hypocrites, right? Allie, uh, one thing, when you have a biblical Christian worldview, you, you realize there's only been one perfect person on this planet. His name was Jesus. And so I don't look for perfection in Thomas Jefferson. I don't look for perfection in Martin Luther King Jr. I don't look for perfection in Barack Obama. And, and so you sit there, oh, oh, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. And trust me, I think that's bad. It, it, it's really bad. But I've asked people in this time, and again, I, I don't know if God has some sort of scale, but I just ask people and say, well, I wonder what God thinks about abortion. Because we as a society think, oh, we're so much better than Thomas Jefferson and those people from two and 300 years ago. They own slaves. And I'm sitting there going like, somebody 300, 400 years from now is going to be like, those people sanctioned abortion mm -hmm. and, and <laughs> took it all the way to the Supreme Court and, and put Planned Parenthood clinics in every community they could and wiped out millions of unborn children. And so I'm just not sure we're actually any better than Thomas Jefferson and those guys. Mm. It, it just depends on your point of view and perspective. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I want to talk about a, I want to talk about a good story, um, a happy story about these uh, a group of dads that decided that they were going to go to a school that has been struggling with violence. They're calling themselves Dads on Duty. And Steve Hartman at CBS reported on this, and we're going to play a clip of that new segment. Over the course of three days, another fight 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. To but strangely, there hasn't been another incident since perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Your qualifications are? Dad. Dad. We decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? Because not everybody has the father figure, the father figure at home. Or a male, period, in their life. Like so that. just to be here makes a big difference. Okay, tell me what you think about that. Uh, I consider men the vaccine. And we have a plague in this country uh, that requires men to step up and be the cure. And there's not a problem that we have in America that can't be improved by men standing up and doing their job. Mm -hmm. And I, I love what CBS did. They gave men two minutes of like, hey, here's what men can do. 
And so a school system for three days is racked by violence, 23 students arrested, and uh, it took 40 men to flatten the curve. And they did it overnight, instantly. And we need an injection. We need to require the jab. Men reinserting themselves and taking on the responsibilities and roles uh, that they were designed for to, to protect and serve. And so I would love to have a male energy vaccine mandate <laughs> come from above that we require men to step up and do what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to protect and serve. We're supposed to be the primary police officers for every child. Hmm. Mom and dad should be the first officer friendlies for every child. And to see these men step up and just their presence instantly cures or, or provides relief from a plague that was hurting this school system in, in, in Louisiana. I, I think it's an uplifting and inspiring message. I'm glad CBS put it out. I wish they had given it more than two minutes because every corporate media outlet will give conversations about the role of police officers. They'll give hours, they'll spend hours every day talking about what police need to do this and they need to be trained better and blah, 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 blah. No. Men need to return to their homes, communities, families, and lead and take responsibility for what they created. We are the vaccine. Mm. We should require it. Mm. That's good. So you're saying that we should have a vaccine mandate that this kind of masculinity and strength should be placed in communities. Even the data shows this. The data shows this, that there is a strong correlation and, you know, causal relationship between fatherlessness and crime and depression and teen pregnancy. And yet, like you said, the media won't cover it, I guess, because that takes away from their argument that really the government just needs to step in and do the job that really dads are supposed to do. So they won't talk about that or they think that it's racist or something. But if you truly cared about those that they consider marginalized, then you would be shining a light on this. I'm thankful for these dads, too. Good for them. I know some people might think this is so called toxic masculinity, but I think it's very productive, like you said. All right. Can you tell everyone um, how they can support you, where they can watch your show? Uh, you can watch my show on Blaze TV, any place where on YouTube, obviously. I think it's YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, the show is called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It's available wherever podcasts are available. Uh, and we're trying to, and I appreciate you lending me your platform, we're trying to build a fearless army of men like those dads on duty we, you, we just talked about and showed. Uh, we're, you know, the show is about trying to inspire men to do our jobs. Yep, well, thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you, Allie. Okay, one more sponsor for the day, and that is Alliance Defending 
freedom. So if this vaccine mandate is actually enacted, you know, it's just kind of it's not even real. Like it hasn't even been signed yet. He just kind of said it to give these corporations cover. But if it actually is enacted by Joe Biden, then um, people are going to need the tools to push back on these mandates for the sake of liberty. And Alliance Defending Freedom is making that happen. They will challenge the vaccine mandate if it is enacted, but they need your help protecting our cherished freedoms from abusive government is why it is vital that you join me in supporting ADF. ADF represents all of their clients free of charge, but they need the support of people like you and me to be able to continue to do that. They are on the front lines pushing back against encroachments on our liberty. A lot of people ask me, what can I do? Maybe you, one thing that you can do is financially support an organization like ADF who is truly, uh, fighting the fight that, um, a lot of people are too afraid to or who just won't. So go to adflegal.org slash Allie and donate to ADF's Freedom Fund to ensure they have the resources necessary to take the Biden administration to court all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if necessary. That's adflegal.org slash Allie, adflegal.org slash Allie. All right, guys, that's it for today. A couple things. One, if you're watching on YouTube, we are trying to get... The lighting and the camera, right. So before, I really didn't like it because it was like faded. I felt like I was washed out. I was kind of overly exposed. And I liked Thursdays. I'm looking down at the monitor right now. I liked Thursdays. Today looks a little yellowy greeny to me. So I'm asking for YouTube subscribers. I'm asking for your feedback. Let me know what you think. Um, also, last week I asked for um, I asked for your millennial moments of not wanting to do menial tasks. This is a millennial disorder that I think that we have called errand p- paralysis where we refuse to like send back Amazon packages or go to the post office or call that person back, listen to our voicemails. Why do we do this? I don't know, but I have it too. It's like irrational anxiety surrounding very small things. And I want to hear like, what is that tiny irrational thing or that tiny thing that you won't do for an irrational reason and tell me what your irrational reason is leave us a voicemail 682-503-1369 682-503-1369 i think i'll be playing some of those tomorrow so i will see you guys back here then 